Welcome back to the Zainab Canoe Show. Today I have with me Tariana Roca, and we are going to be discussing the importance of choosing you. Oh my gosh, this interview was amazing. In this interview, we're going to talk about reparenting yourself, secure attachment, gaslighting, like you know, when you gaslight yourself, I didn't even know that was a thing, but it is a thing. You can actually gaslight yourself. We're going to talk about attachment trauma, the golden child, shame. What is a narcissist? The two types of narcissists there are and how you can go about choosing you, making you a priority. Listen, you don't want to miss this episode. You really do not. So stay tuned and welcome. Thank you. Talk about choosing you. All right. Let's <laughs> talk because that is very important. I know. That is very important. I want to learn. So you got to give us all the tools, all the skills that we need in order to choose ourselves. Okay. All right. So first, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell the audience all about you, what you're about, what you're passion, passionate about, and what you stand for. Well, my name is Tariana Rocha. You can call me Tari. Um, I am a psychoanalyst and I've developed a program for children of pathological narcissists where I explain what it is that you've been through, the types of wounds that this leaves in you, and I also give you the path towards what would be healing, which is, of course, always your reconnection with yourself. Because I, I, I can facilitate that for you, but obviously I don't have a magic wand. I can't fix things for you. You have your path and everything you need is inside you and in your life context right now. So that's what I stand for. And I believe that every situation that you're in can be reinterpreted in the light of, in, of this information where I said that you have everything that you need right now in your life situations. So you start looking for ways out that maybe you couldn't see before because you could only see a closed door, right? So when you reconnect with your own wisdom, with your own serenity, with your own courage, it's already inside of you. Then you can fix things and find solutions to your problems. So... Now, for someone that is that is looking for coaching, are you saying that that's what you do? You're able to coach them, even though you don't give them everything they need because everything that they need is coming from within, you were able mm-hmm. to guide them for them to be able to access all that goodness that is in them towards healing. Yeah, because, you know, people say things like you have to love yourself. And this is very true. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what we're learning how to do is how to reparent ourselves. 
So all of those little parts of ourselves that got stuck in time due to trauma, because lots of stuff happened over a period of years, and you didn't have the, the, the cognitive level to be able to process those things. So this fragments your personality, and this is what causes pain, right? This is why you can't move forward. This is why your childhood has such, a, has such power over you and defines you so much. This is why you feel still a prisoner to your mom or to your dad, right? You don't have a separate sense of self. So this whole you have to love yourself thing is absolutely spot on. But okay, how do you do it? It's so annoying. Just love yourself. How? What does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, I think I love myself, but what does that mean? Exactly. So essentially, what loving yourself means is to have exclusively loving, self-compassionate answers to your own pain. So what this means is, what we generally do is, if we were raised by abusive, um, absent parents, mm -hmm. or in unstable environments, what happens is we introject these parents and these experiences of pain, shame, right, terror, and we start treating ourselves the same way. So an example of this would be, let's say you make a mistake and then you start feeling tremendous shame, but it's really powerful. It takes over you, you know, it, it changes your energy because you just feel like you're the worst piece of crap on the face of the planet and that spirals out of control and this affects your ability to socialize and to have a decent career that you'd love to have, to feel good about yourself, to even know what it is that you want. So when we punish ourselves, we have these introjects of punishing parents. What we're doing is we're abandoning ourselves when we're down at our worst over and over and over and over again. So you can't expect to feel that life is a great place to be, you know, and that you can even enjoy yourself. How, how are you going to love yourself if you look at yourself when you're down um, and you think you're despicable? You think you're not worthy of anything and you should have been stronger. You know, you should have been better. How dare you make a mistake again? Haven't you already understood at an intellectual level how things are supposed to be? How come you still have, you know, issues with this? Come on. Yeah. So this attitude we have, it's just, you know, it, it perpetuates the way we were treated. And then we do this to our children. And this is how it gets transferred from generation to generation. Yes. And it's subconsciously you're doing it. Right? Because you don't really know. You think that that behavior is normal. So... Yeah because it was done to you because you hear a lot of people say well that's how my mom raised me and i saw something today online that says i can't raise my kids the way my mom raised me because i'm not my kids are not living in the same time that i was living in uh -huh. Uh -huh. and i thought that that was so powerful because we as motherless daughters that have no example of like love nurturing mentorship or any of that we are constantly so critical of ourselves. And I know when I first had my son, I don't know if it was postpartum. I don't know what it was. I just like felt like crap and I was not my best and I hated it. 
And it was because of that, that I decided like, Hey, I need to do something. You know, all of that was like, Hey, this is not normal. I can't be like this. You know, I don't want to be this mean to my child, but all those thoughts in my head were not my own. They were thoughts of my mom or my dad or family members, the things that they have said to me. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So you keep yourself down, right? And and, and then the experience of living, of being alive is just really painful. So when I say you have to love yourself, it means that specifically, okay, Mm -hmm. it means many things. So we can talk about those many things here, but first and foremost, It's the energy with which you respond to your own shortcomings. So, okay, let's go back to the, you made a mistake and you're feeling really crappy about yourself. You know, (laughs) instead of punishing yourself, look at that part of you that made that mistake and how, how, I don't know how desperate she was, how alone, you know, how, that she didn't have any support, how a bunch of things were going on. Well, something happened, right, for that for mistakes to keep happening. There's a, there's a context there. It's not a matter of like, oh, it's an excuse. There's no such thing. Of, it's, not, it's not really a matter. That's just there's a reality that you're in, you know, in falling apart sometimes emotionally, and that's going to make you make some mistakes, and you need some support, man. That's you crying out for your own support. And then you go there and you kick yourself when you're down because I can't believe you're, you're not perfect. So the idea is you have to get to when you're at your worst, whatever your worst is for you, your codependent relationship um, or losing people over and over because you're the toxic person or not being able to socialize or having no idea who you are or, or being borderline or, or, or whatever it is that you are. You have to create this relationship with yourself from a loving, self-compassionate energy that always interprets pain as a cry for love. Okay, and exclusively responds to pain in this way. So this is radically, absolutely abandoning the thought that, you know, mistakes warrant punishment, which is our entire moral system. So it is absolutely counterintuitive to love yourself if you're in this planet, (laughs) you know? Oh my gosh, I just had, like, I'm just having like a moment because when you are in pain, you are thinking a lot of times our um, default is to be mean and cruel to ourselves, like how dare us. But what you're saying is like, your body is crying out for support. Absolutely. Like absolutely you're for support. Like, you know, instead of you just being so mean to yourself, it's just give yourself a little bit of compassion and support and figure out how you can do it better next time. Yes, yes. And take it as it comes. You can't demand that the process be faster than it is. Because we have to understand that everything that happens to us is designed to force us into expansion because expansion is the law of everything. And so this means that repetitive experiences or your repetitive mistakes are training sessions that you need Mm -hmm. to get to another level. So you're still doing something wrong. You're not strong enough in that new skill. You have to train it, you know, and then you do get to another level, but you only get to another level 
if you have a healthy relationship with your wounded parts and you don't think they're despicable and should be abandoned and punished, because then you're your best friend when you're down. That's the idea. It's like, dude, whatever, whatever is my worst. And I gave that list of what your worst could be. It could be many other things. Mm-hmm. You have, when you think of who am I going to call for help, the first person needs to be you. You need to know that you're going to know how to handle this because you're going to be so exceptionally loving. You're going to be so exceptionally forgiving. You're going to be so courageous and so wise. And, and you know, and, and this is the safest place to be. And even if you need to then, from self, you have the awareness that you need to call out for help. Mm-hmm. You do that from a space of awareness, not like, oh, save me, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want to do any inner work. Right? So, so that's the thing. Like, you have to literally train yourself to be your best friend. These parts of us that we think are despicable, they're fragments of our personality that were never really integrated because there wasn't an optimal environment for that to happen. Really, all we needed was to have a loving, caring, non-judgmental, non-invasive, and responsive presence to witness our development, interact with us, and teach us things. When you have that, you naturally treat yourself well when you're down because that's how you were treated when you were down. You just repeat it. When you didn't have that, mm-hmm. you have, not only do you have the trauma, and the trauma isn't the past, it's the echo of the past that exists in your psyche and that distorts reality and that makes you keep regressing to that childlike or adolescent stage where you experience the trauma and then you go back to perceiving reality from that fearful place because children and and teenagers don't have any power and as you and so those parts of us that we think are despicable because they act in really immature ways they are literally little selves you have inside you that were left over from unprocessed trauma and that keep getting reactivated because they are still looking for the same thing. A presence that is loving, non-judgmental, responsive, non-invasive, and can interact with them and be their witness. They just keep looking for it. You know, like they say that people die and they don't know that they're dead and they, they roam the earth <laughs> until somebody tells them that they're dead. So these parts of you are like, Somebody must witness me. Somebody must witness me so they can be integrated into the self. And you, every time they try to, to be witnessed by screaming out for help, you're like, ugh, you're so despicable. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this I is how you... Per- that. That's it. So this is how you perpetuate your trauma. And that's why loving yourself means interpreting those parts of you that ask for help and who are really immature and that keep making mistakes as parts that need to be witnessed and mothered, reparented. So you treat them like you would treat your son until they mature and they feel safe and they stop acting out and your personality starts changing because you stop being so reactive and, you, and without all the energy being used to defend yourself because you still think like a teenager and a powerless kid right? You have all this energy left over. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm finally baseline. 
I'm not just freaking out all the time. And then you have energy and you can ask yourself, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? And obviously most of us won't know and that's a process in and of itself, but you can start asking yourself questions. So that's what loving yourself looks like. And then you start building a life around honoring um, these parts of you that have different desires, that have been pushed down, that you've been ignoring, right? That you've been rejecting, that you've been running from. And then when all of your parts are taken care of because you don't reject any part of yourself because you've adopted an exclusively loving stance. Exclusively. There's never, oh, I'm just going to punish myself just this one time. You abandon that. You become like a monk. This is your mantra. <laughs> you know? But just hearing you talk and I'm having this one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, it's like it's just for me even though it will be air to everyone else. But I feel like it's just for me because it's a lot of like light bulbs are going off in my head, you know, because I, I, I'm on my journey and this journey is not easy and I have good days and I have bad days. However, my good days can be good. My bad days can be really bad. But when I'm hearing you talk about how you have to love yourself exclusively, be your own best friend. I've heard it before, but the way you are saying it is clicking to me. Like you have to be your own best friend where when something happens, instead of you being judgmental, it's that little girl on the inside of me that's looking for validation, that's looking for love, that's looking for support, looking for someone to be compassionate and nurturing. It's trying to come out. That's the little girl that's like, crying or being sad or being so hard on myself i just need to give her a little bit of love a little bit of attention just be kind to to her and listen to her and kind of figure out what does she want and that's why remothering yourself like i mean i've been doing this for a minute but like a lot of stuff are clicking in my head right now but that's where the remothering part comes in. It's really at that mm -hmm. stage, at that time. At that stage, exactly. If you could have like a, um, an image in your head of these different parts of you, that the little girl, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, there, there are therapies um, that access these parts, like inner family systems or, or parts work. And you can even visualize what these different parts would look like because they want to be seen so they manifest they actually do do make themselves be seen so I'll, I'll give an example so it doesn't sound woo okay uh -huh. um i have a part of me that goes off into la la land and daydreams when i feel like i'm overwhelmed because there's a lot of adult responsibilities and i want to go back to being a kid and then I start dissociating and I go off into la la land and I'm like, oh wait, I got, I got stuff to do. And that's the trigger. So when I'm in my serious, you know, psychoanalyst, entrepreneur part, I'm very responsible, I'm very focused, I'm very grounded. But when this other part, when I get, when it feels threatened by the amount of responsibility on my plate, 
there's this other childish part of me that wants to go back to when kids, you know, had a wild imagination and they were part in their imagination and part in the real, real world. And that's maladaptive daydreaming. And lots of people have that, you know? I, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a really common thing. And so when I'm in those parts, they take over my personality. And, and this, is, this is why we feel so crazy and chaotic inside. Like there's many different people. It's like there are many different people. And they're at different ages and they have different needs and they've never been heard. And they keep taking over your personality and you keep having this weird erratic behavior because you've, you've always refused uh, your role in reparenting. That's why they keep resurfacing over and over and over and over and over again. Exactly. Exactly. Connie, it's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. But, you know, I, I have a theory. I have, it's, it's a practice, really, that healing, since it's something you're going to have to do for the rest of your life, you really can't face it like a chore, you know, like, oh, my God, I have all this inner work to do. No, on the contrary. What you want to do is first you want to be, you want to remember that you're never going to regret all this effort. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get a prize at the end of the rainbow. You know, there's something for it. This is for sure. If you just keep at it, this is for sure. So you have options. I understand that it's difficult. It really is very difficult. It requires a lot of efforts and then it requires a lot of surrender as well right mm -hmm. so it requires a lot of you so if you see it like a chore you know you what that stems from is from seeing yourself as wounded and defective and oh my god i have to fix all of that Sorry. no that's not it at all if you have if you could have like a visual image of these wounded parts of you you would see little children all beaten up, skinny, like they haven't eaten in forever, you know, starved. You would see, you would feel pity and compassion. You would be overcome by a motherly um, instinct to protect them. It's just that you're seeing your face in the mirror, your adult face, and you think you're this adult and you're supposed to act like one. Mm -hmm. And all these leftover parts of you that you don't want to, you know, you don't, you don't give the time of day. <laughs> and you know, are, are these wounded parts of us, they require exceptionally little attention. You're not going to have to, like, if you have a, a part of you that's a three-year-old and you keep going back to that part and you just stay in bed and you, you know, you, you lie down in a fetal position and that's all you can do when you're in that part. Well, it's not going to take you know, 20 years for you to mother that part and reparent that part, it's going to take a little bit of attention when they pop up, when that feeling of wanting to be in bed in fetal position, which is that part manifesting, right? Being activated. Right. When, that gets, when that happens, then you mother it, you reparent it. And it's a, a, little, a few minutes here, a few seconds there. And you build a relationship with them and they start feeling safe because all they need to be freed from their bubble of isolation from the rest of the psyche where they're not seen and that's why they're isolated is for you to see them and accept and love them that's it 
and then they're free and you start maturing mm. and then your personality you start noticing um characteristics that you have mm-hmm. that you didn't realize that you had them or that they could be so beautiful or or, or or provide you so much joy and so much connection because you, you develop talents where you only saw defects. You transmute everything. These wounded parts, they become parts that, are, that have unique energies. And, li- and life can be, for example, light again, you know? Right. Things can be easier again because now you have access to that part of the psyche that was blocked off and it's free. So it's a relationship thing and it's exciting because you'll never regret it. It's amazing to to get to know these parts of you. They really are like little people inside us. It's crazy. It's super healing. I mean, it can't go wrong. So when you think about, oh, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life, you're gonna, I know, I know, because I remember what it's like that we don't have any idea what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. But what happens in practice is for so long, you think something is impossible. And just because you keep at it, things change because that's how reality works. Everything is changing right now. You're dying. I'm dying. Things are being born. Everything is shifting. Mm-hmm. So just because you keep at something, eventually it happens. And then when it happens, it's not impossible anymore. And you notice another thing, you receive more than you imagined. Because when you were wishing for it in your wounded state of mind, you were so wounded, you asked for so little. Yes. Because you're afraid. Because you don't yeah. think you're going to get it. You don't think you're going to accomplish it. So you don't really ask for a lot. You ask for, oh, man, I just, I just was telling myself this. What's today? Today's Wednesday. I work 12 hours. Sometimes the days just run together. <laughs> but um, I think it was like Saturday or Sunday. I was telling myself I was coming upstairs and I was just, I was like, oh God, please, may I be able to buy da, 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 da. And then I remember, why would I ask for such little? I'm like, I'm asking See? God, I'm ask for such little. And I was coming up the stairs and I remember telling myself that. I'm just asking for just like the problem to just put a bandit on the problem versus me actually asking for me to solve the problem. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And the thing is, that's related to the way that we attached as infants to our mother and our father. And there's this thing called secure attachment, which basically, you know, if, if the way that they used to interact with you was with that loving, non-judgmental, non-invasive, responsive energy, then you form a secure attachment. It just means that you trust your mother and then you can love her and be loved by her. And she takes such good care of you that as you grow, you feel very safe to go off and play and get to know new people because you know there's a a safe place for you to go back to. But when your mother's love is unstable, you don't form a secure attachment. And then you're always scared of losing that love. And your entire psychic energy um, gets directed at reading the parent so you can adapt your personality to having your needs met and to not being punished. And then you, you don't get to form a secure attachment. And, and this makes you not take certain risks in the adult phase. 
and makes your dream really small because you don't feel that you can go out into the world and do stuff. There's no place to, to go back to. Life in and of itself is unsafe for you. That's how important that first attachment, that first bond. Is this why when you are in a relationship, even though the relationship is toxic, a lot of people end up staying, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, because you're afraid from just the, the experience that you had with your parents, you're afraid like, well, wait a minute, I, I, I had it with my parents just as normal. I had it with my mom, I had it with my dad. So what he's doing is no different. I've ha heard people say, and I have said it to myself, well, at least they care for me compared to my mom, even though the relationship wasn't healthy. And I mean, I've told myself that. Of course. You know, we, we rationalize the abuse we have to because you can feel that it's abuse it's it's gaslighting yourself but it's what you've done your whole life you know you were gaslighted when you were a kid and you learned how to gaslight yourself you have to lie to people about your family you have to pretend a whole bunch of things and pretend certain things weren't problems and pretend things were fine when they weren't it's exhausting and nothing was ever dealt with and it was chaotic you know and there was there were no boundaries so you, you, you just have to kind of replicate that experience. It's, it's just emotionally, you know, comfortable because that's what, what love means to you. As weird and toxic as it is, it's really the only reference you have. And because you keep looking for it, because all of these parts of you are still looking to be witnessed, looking to be received, looking to be loved, you keep just looking for it in everybody. And when something is similar to what you associate with love, because it's the only reference you have, you're like, oh, this is it. And you get really confused, but then you just activate all of the same things to try to pretend that everything is normal, like you used to do when you were a kid or, you know, with your um, toxic parent. To, to normalize the situation. Because so, you don't really believe there's love for you. So, you, I mean, you have to, you have, to have a, a reason to why you're staying in that relationship. You don't think there's going to be love for you anywhere else. Well, it's kind of scary because I know for me, it was very scary to be able to walk away from my relationship because I don't have that family support. And now I'm truly on my own. And then I was like, well, my mom can love me. These were the things that I told myself, my mom can love me. My father's love was very conditional. I had to get like really good grades and then he would be really nice to me and very kind to me at that time. And, you know, now I'm in a relationship and this is some rocky mess right here. And I'm like, it's me, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Because if I was perfect, if I was great, if I was this way, then I would have been loved. I wouldn't have had an issue then, you know, at one point I thought my partner couldn't truly love me because um, they saw that my mother and father care less about me. Because then they would say, you know, something like, well, at least I'm in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's so like, but when you're in it, you don't see it now. With all the work that I've done, if someone says certain things to me, they like like I will run before you even blink. I wouldn't even think twice about it. But 
back then with brokenness and not knowing what it means to love myself, what it means to choose me. I mean, we're talking about this is, you know, I'm just putting myself now because I know this space of what some of my um, audience members are dealing with, you know, because some of the emails and stuff and Instagram messages and all that that I've received, a lot of them just feel stuck. And I know at one point I felt stuck, even in my family's relationship. I worked so hard. I worked hard to get my mother's love, my mother's attention, and my mother's family. I was just, you know, I interviewed someone earlier today at like 3, 3.30. And they, when they were telling me, I was like, are you sure we're not related? Because it literally was like, you know, as I'm listening to her, it sounded like my life. Yeah, very, very repetitive stories, you know. That is crazy. Very repetitive. Abuse is very repetitive. Narcissistic abuse is very repetitive. How can it be from different families like that? It's like literally the same thing. I don't get that. Because it's the way that the psyche works and narcissism, it's, it's an attachment um, trauma at its core, it's what it is, which, which causes a defense mechanism. This feeling that you had of like, oh, well, you know, people will think less of me because my parents don't love me. Well, the narcissist has a profound sense of shame and inadequacy. That's, that's what he feels actually deep down inside. Because narcissism is a, a defense mechanism created in childhood when you aren't seen. Really? And there's two ways of, yes, there's two ways of not being, it's not what we know about personality traits. Some of them seem to be genetic, like being an introvert or an extrovert, but most of them, and narcissism is included there, seem to be from developmental issues. And we see that narcissism has got to do with trauma. So what happens is there's two ways of not being seen. Either your parents are absent, they might be physically there, but emotionally absent. You might actually be abandoned. You might be humiliated and rejected, right? And you might be abused. That, that's one way of not being seen. But there's another way of not being seen. The parent uses you to enhance their ego, to boost their own ego. So you have to have the career that you know they weren't able to have for whatever reason, you, but they're going to project their dreams onto you. And you have to go down the path that they choose for you. You can't exist as an individual self. You have to make them look good. You have to be enmeshed. They have to make decisions for you. You're not allowed to have your own personality and they will only pay attention to you or acknowledge your existence when you're obeying. The moment you demonstrate that you want to go another way, they discard you like you're useless or you become a scapegoat. Oh, I can't believe that. Absolutely. I experienced that with my father. My father wanted me to go to school and become a doctor, and I had no desire of becoming a doctor. I wanted to go to school to do some kind of art thing, whether it was journalism or I love anything that was art related. At one point, I wanted to do interior designing. I wanted to do what allowed me to be creative. 
And my father was like, no. And when I went off that path, he was not happy with me at all whatsoever. So guess what? Because he was not happy with me, I had to go back to the path that he wanted me. And when I went back, he was okay. The relationship was okay. But the relationship was, like I said, conditional. It had to be, I had to be a specific type of person. You know, I, I couldn't, you know, no one can even complain about me. I couldn't even, as a teenager, I couldn't even fight with my, 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 my stepsister. I couldn't even argue with her. I couldn't even make her upset because that would mean I have like literally disobeyed him. And as a kid, I would be in the house with my father and he will not speak to me for a whole month. Exactly. And I would be in there and everybody, and it gets, it gets, it annoys me so much when people tell me he's an amazing father because my mother didn't care and he did, and he brought us to America. But I'm like, yes, his intentions were good. And, and I know his intentions were good, but the way how he went about some things were just like really awful, you know, because I'm 15 years old and you're not speaking to me. I'm in the house. Yeah, it's devastating. It's <laughs> devastating because when you're a kid and when you're a teenager, you literally depend on the adults around you to help you learn how to process reality, how to make sense of life. And when you don't have that sort of support and it's taken from you as punishment because you, you are, your, are yourself, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so narcissists, because they, they have one of those experiences, Either they were idealized and, were, and they were a golden child, but only were seen when they were empty, right? And, 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 and did what, what would make their parents look good. Or they were just rejected, humiliated, abandoned. Both of these situations generates the feeling of, well, I'm clearly not good enough. I'm, I'm not good enough. I didn't, I wasn't seen. They didn't want to see me. They didn't want to see me. And this is so shameful. You were ashamed that about you not being loved by your parents, how people would see that. So there's a shame connected to not being loved by your parents. Mm -hmm. And it's a profound shame that you feel inside you because you think it's your fault. You think there's something wrong with you and it's confusing and you don't get it. Right. Yeah. And so as a defense against that shame and oftentimes against depression as well. Narcissism um, gets activated in order to self-medicate by feeling superior all the time. Oh my gosh. So then they, because, because the shame is so great, they need to self-medicate all the time. Like all of their personality is taken over by the search for narcissistic supply. And their, their ego is so fragile that anyone that they interact with they need to keep them down oh, because they can't take comparison. They are chronically envied. So you can't shine. Don't, don't, don't shine too much. Make me look good, but don't you try to be better than me or, you know, make me look good. So they have to keep you down somehow because their ego is always getting triggered by other people's success, by how they're, they perceive them, themselves or need to perceive themselves as always being superior. And then we have two types of, of well, there, there's different types of narcissists depending on who you talk to, but predominantly there's two types of narcissists. We have the extrovert 
And that's like that bully that openly humiliates people. And he actually does tend to have like good self-esteem in the sense that he doesn't normally feel shame. That's way down. But narcissism is still a defense mechanism against the shame that he doesn't access. But we also have the covert narcissist. Now, this is a socially shy, um, introverted type of narcissist that needs to feel special, but feels that he or she falls short. They do experience their shame. As a result, they're constantly comparing themselves to everybody all the time and oftentimes falling short. And so in order to justify this in their mind, because they don't want to feel that inferior, they create this, this idea, well, you know, if, if my life had gone differently, I could have been a great athlete. Or I'm a genius somehow. It's just that the world doesn't recognize it. They can't see how special I am. The person has this resentment towards life because things didn't go, you know, in a way where their genius would have been recognized. And there's just this resentment and this envy, but they're more introverted. And, and but in both situations, there are defense mechanisms against that feeling of shame. This is why if you were raised by a narcissist, you feel like you were, you were smashed, you know, as, as an individual. It's like there was no space for you to develop. Everything was just wrong. And when there was any sign that you were going to break free, or, or individuate it's like there's punishment or or people um take back their love and they stop talking to you they don't you know your role in the family changes all of a sudden you're not the golden child now you're the scapegoat or you're the invisible child and you know so it's it's super crazy making it's crazy making and and that's why it's essential for us to learn how to be compassionate towards our wounded parts you see, narcissists don't know how to do that. And because they're, they hate their wounded parts so much, they use this grandiosity. I'm better than you. Mm. I'm always right. You're always wrong to self-medicate against their inability to feel their own shame and process their own shame. Okay. So now that we've kind of figured out like what a narcissist is, and how they impact your life, even after you've lived the scene, they still have control over you. And now like a person knows, I am a little bit damaged, I'm a little bit broken, how do I get to choose me? So for someone that is in that space, I want you to talk to them about what it's like to choose you. What is that process like? What does that look like? Well, you know, there's a, there, there's an image I like to use, and I described it to you when we talked earlier, about what it is that our psyche is like after narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it came from your family or from an abusive partner. Essentially, your personality doesn't exist anymore. You have no sense of self you're confused as heck. Your mm. nerves. I mean, you're on alert all the time. You, you feel anxiety and you don't know why. You eggshell. You're an eggshell. You can't even describe it. It's so weird. It's so weird. And, you know, you have to start somewhere to heal, right? And you don't even have a sense of self. What the heck do you do? So visually for me, this is like 
an image of Armageddon, you know, the apocalypse, <laughs> and or, or maybe a war-stricken zone where the buildings are just like, you know, everything's been exploded. Exactly. It's just, I, I, I forgot the word. Um, ruins, basically, and gray and burnt down and falling apart and no life whatsoever. No vegetation, nothing, like a wasteland. This is what you feel like. And then at some point, yourself, because yourself is your self-healing entity, it, it works with life to push you into situations where you can expand, because that's the nature of reality. So yourself tries to peek through, and you're walking through that wasteland, and you see a little sprout. It's the only color, and it's this vibrant little, you know, them and like maybe two bigger leaves and two tiny little leaves you're like oh my god and it's the, literally the only color in this whole wasteland scenario and it is your job to take care of this tiny little sprout because you need to revegetate mm -hmm. this this wasteland you need to bring it back to life and you are the guardian of this little sprout and how are we going to do it? How are you going to do it in, at a, in practical terms? Well, it's actually quite simple. It's just super hard. <laughs> but it's actually quite, quite, quite simple. It involves three steps. The first step is you have to know how to ground yourself. And there's many ways of doing this. Some people use breathing exercises. I love breathing exercises. Some people do yoga, right? Um, some people meditate. Mm -hmm. Some people pray. Mm -hmm. I like to do um, inner therapy using inner family systems. It's a type of parts work I like to do. And that I teach in the Inner Mastery Lab as well because it helps me ground myself. So that's the first thing. Why? Because when you're in a chaotic state, you're not in your true self. You're not in self. You're just in all the, of those wounded parts that are going crazy. And now your personality is in it's like a gazillion fragments. There's no consistency there. You, have, you need some consistency, and self will give you that. You can only access self when you're nice and calm around. Oh, yeah. So you have to develop some way to first and foremost learn how to access self. I like breathing exercises. I like stretching. I like parts work. Sometimes I'll put on a video that gives me a certain energy or listen to a song or I will organize or clean my house. That puts me in a state of self. So I have many different tools in my toolbox and you must have your toolbox full of tools. So calm yourself down. You have to know yourself. So that's the first step. When you've learned and trained how to become grounded because think of your mind like a, a clan of monkeys that are high on cocaine and they're just going crazy and jumping from branch to branch and there's like that would so be much so crazy that that's exactly what your mind is like after trauma after abuse or narcissistic abuse and so you know um you want to first and foremost connect to self so that you can calm yourself down and you have to understand that there's a training process involved in learning how to stay grounded. It's not going to happen overnight. 
And you really need to see it in the long term, like you're adopting a new ritual. Just like if you decided to start working out, being that you've never done that before, but you're like, you know what? I've always neglected my body, but now I have children and I'm starting to have health problems because I don't take care of myself. What sort of a role model am I? This is not healthy. It's affecting my children. They're gaining weight, whatever. So you decide to go on this personal mission, right? Dude, you, you're, you're not going to go to the gym once and eat, you know, some lettuce in between your mac and cheese and burgers. It's not going to work? Things, it's not going to work. Uh. You, have to, you have to clean your routines and your rituals and change them into healthier ones. And so um, when we work on ourselves, it is a repetitive process. It's a repetitive process for the rest of your life, like exercising and taking care of what you eat. It's a personal hygiene issue. But it's mental hygiene. It's emotional and spiritual hygiene. Right. Okay, so You have to face it like that. So number one, get grounded. Mm -hmm. Once you're grounded, you're set. Because once you're grounded, you have access to self. You're calm inside. And you can ask into your own silence whatever you need to ask. Hey, I'm confused. I don't know what it is that I need to do what's right for me in this situation and you sit and you wait because your psyche works for you and it's going to let an answer bubble up somehow because you're going to feel something you're going to know do i go this direction or that direction i'm i'm confused if you if you're in self and you ask you will receive an answer you're going to feel it somehow that this is slightly better than this even if it's two crappy options this is the one you need to go for well, how do we know that? That's what you got to tell us. How do we know? Because how do you feel? Because sometimes when you're in a state of confusion, even when you sit, if you have anxiety, even when you try to meditate, you sit, you calm, you do some cleaning. Like, I love to clean. That calms me. I love to clean my house. It's like, just, you know, play some music and get, it gets me so happy. It's weird. So even when I get to, like, do that and all that good stuff, and then sometimes my anxiety kind of gets the best of me. So. You're not in self. Oh. That's why you don't know. Because when you're in self, you know. When you're in self, it's a knowing. Really? Yes, it's a knowing. It's a direction. I'm telling you that if you can get grounded, you will literally get step-by-step -step instructions on how to live your life for the next few years at least. Really? Yes. And how does it work? So I said it's a three step process number one get in self if you're not in self you're not sure because you know when you're in self it just the makes sense yeah the illusion falls away and you just see what's healthy it's obvious that this is what's healthy you're just lying to yourself you know and then that's that's step two to ask yourself and wait for the answer and step number three step number three is to apply the following mantra. May I have the serenity to accept what I can't change, the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Whatever yourself tells you to do, it's going to be one of two things. You're either gonna have to accept the situation that you cannot change, like my husband, my mom, my friend, 
obviously has a toxic personality, possibly a personality disorder. And I need to distance myself from this crap because this is not going to change. So it's either accepting something that you've been resisting and that's why you're suffering. Because you're, you're resisting it? Yeah, because you're not accepting something. You're like, no, 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 you know, he was just, he beat me up today because I didn't put enough onions in his stew like he asked me to. You know, you're like rationalizing crap. You don't want to accept, or maybe you're financially dependent on your mom. So you know she's abusive as, as heck, but you don't want to accept it because then you have to grow up and you don't want to. <laughs> you know? I was just talking about that today. A lot of people are complaining that, you know how they have all these groups on Facebook with all these uh, individuals with mommy issues, but then a lot of them are like, oh, my mom just kicked me out, or, you know, my mom is, you know, because I live with her, she's being this way, that way. And I was like, why don't you just remove yourself from the situation? You're an adult now. What's the essence? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's that um, learned helplessness, right? The person literally sees themselves as, as powerless and also they were quite possibly trained to be childlike and, and prevented from developing skills that maybe an adult their age would have. Even sometimes basic skills like social skills. I, I have many clients that have such serious social issues. They can't hold down a job to leave their family environment. So you have some really weird situations and a whole lot of depression and the person's like, they can't get out of bed, much less get a job. So it's, you have, you have to like, these people essentially learn how to rescue themselves from the deepest pain because they're in such a bad place in the way that they see themselves. There's a lot of self help and inner work and maybe therapy that they're going to need to go through to have a, a, a strong enough ego to like, okay, now I'm going to be an adult and take care of myself and see myself as an individual, you know? So it's, it's, a, it's a process. It's a process. Some people, everybody's at a different stage in that process, but absolutely that, you know, that, you know, um, essentially you're just resisting growing up and you have to grow up at some point. Right. And we do resist it. We all resist change. And we all think that it's going to be the end of the world. And, you know, maybe we should just stay where we're at. So step one, get grounded. Find your technique. Step two, when you're in self, just ask yourself, what's the right situation for me right now? And you will feel a knowing somehow. People, different people feel it different ways. You know, sometimes I swear to God, sometimes I ask myself something. And at that exact moment, a song is playing. And a sentence is said as an answer that it represents exactly what I need to do or what I know already. Oh, yes. And this happens all the time with me. So there's many different ways that you can, that you can um, feel this. Maybe it's not going to be in an outwardly way like that, um, but inside, like intuition, just a feeling-based sort of thing. Or you might kind of like hear a sentence in your mind. If you go in this direction, this will happen. But if you go in this direction, this will happen. Right now, this is what you want. You know, you feel something. And then this is step three, right? You, you either accept a situation that you cannot change. Like if you want to, you know, be, be free of your mom, you have to be financially independent. So you're going to have to deal with that depression. Mm -hmm. 
or you got, your husband is not going to change because he has a personality disorder, maybe undiagnosed, but it's that serious. Or the other situation, yourself is only, always going to propose one of two situations. You're either going to have to accept something or you're going to have to act. Because then you, we are dealing with a situation where you need the courage to change what you really can. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's why you resist as well, because you're going to have to learn new skills. And in the beginning of the process of learning a new skill, it's super hard. Your 80% of your energy is like just in the first few months of learning something, the first few weeks of learning something. It's exhausting. You don't want that. Mm -hmm. Learn all these new skills, right? To, to learn how, how, how to self-regulate so you can catch yourself when, when you're falling um, into depression, so you can um, heal yourself and be your best friend and get your energy back up to send out some resumes to take all that rejection and, and strengthen your resilience, you know, and, and go to all those job interviews and go through the processes and step one and step two and step three and step four and step 27 to move out. Get in self. Ask yourself whether you need to accept or act. There are no other options. Mm -hmm. And then, my friend, act or accept. Act have the serenity to accept. That's and have the courage to act. Act or accept. Nothing else. If you accept, I feel like it might be a permanent suffering. But if you act, it's a temporary suffering. Yeah, I mean, accepting can be released from suffering. It's just that each situation is going to either demand that in order for you to move on from that situation and resolve it, it's going to demand one of two um, scenarios for you to expand and move on. Like, for example, in the situation where you're complaining every day in the groups, God damn it, my mom this and my mom that. And like two years later, you're still like, God damn it, I'm depressed and I don't have a job and my mom this and my mom that. And really what you're doing in that situation is you're saying, it's my mom's fault. And at the same time, I, I get how powerless you feel. It, it, the person really does feel that they are in the psychic prison and that their mother is destroying their life. I get they really feel like that. But it's also resistance to change because you have to grow up and take responsibility. So, so long as you don't accept that you are responsible for yourself and there is nothing that your mom is going to do for you and that you're still complaining as if she were in a position to do something for you, you know, you're just resisting accepting, okay, this is not going to change. I'm just going to keep ex um, um, complaining and I'm going to keep on being depressed and, and this is not going to change. I need to accept that I have to save myself. So for you, because you, I mean, when I listen to you, I am like, where does this come from? I want to have all of this like confidence. I mean, I have a little bit. So for you, where did it come from? What type of relationship did you have with your mom? Or what, like, how did you get to this point? I feel maybe a few things kind of benefited me, even though they seemed really sad at the time. Like, um, for example, many people don't break free because their, their parents have money. And that's not the, the issue with my mom. Mm -hmm. And on the contrary, I've always been the go-getter. 
So this is a characteristic of mine because I'm, I'm, um, I had lots of social issues. Yeah, and also because I've always been a lot more introverted and that made me really go hard in my projects because I had difficulty with, with friends. So I would just have projects and, and really repetitive hobbies and stuff. So eventually I'd get good at stuff, you know, and I would achieve my goals. But due to social anxiety as well and, and, and because of my introversion. Um, so there was that. And I feel that another thing that holds people back is there's other family members involved. And so they're like, they don't want to leave their, their nephews because, you know, my sister hasn't understood that our mom is abusive and our mom is doing the same thing to my little nephew. I don't want to go no contact, even though I just can't take it anymore because I'm going to leave these people behind. And there's like all of these ties. And in my situation, I hadn't, I'd, I'd been estranged from my family. Actually, it was parental alienation for like 20 years. And, and the, the people that grew up with me, or the, the husbands that my mom had, they died. All of them died. <laughs> so, I mean, there was nothing holding me back. And, and even though that seemed super sad, I actually think that it benefited me because, like, you know, I was more free to go. There was literally nothing to leave behind other than a very malfunctioning relationship with my mom that was empty. And had been empty since I became a teenager. I, it was, you know, it was empty. There was nothing there since I became a teenager. So what and was the relationship like with your mom? Um, I was the golden child up until I became a teenager. And then I became invisible. And today I have, I have a group on Facebook. Uh, in Portuguese, Entre no Seu Poder, for Children of Narcissists. And I did a poll. And I asked people, what was your role? Were you the golden child, the invisible child, or the scapegoat? Because I want to get to know the proportions and the percentages. And like, by far, most people are, are the scapegoat, like by far. And a very small percentage of them are the golden child. So that's super rare for me to be the golden child and for me to have broken free. Wow. And then a, a much larger version, but yet much smaller than the scapegoats, is the invisible child. There's a few of them that break free, much more than the golden child. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened with me is, I don't know why, but when, when that relationship changed, I, I was able to see and admit to myself that my mom was a pathological liar. Oof. And that angered me because I realized that I wasn't who I thought I was because everything I've been told was a lie. And this, this moment was very important because it allowed me to, to feel angry. And even though, again, it felt really bad at the time because I had these obsessive thoughts about killing her, you know, and then I felt super guilty. So, like, oh my God. Why can't I be nice to you? You're a teenager. I was a teenager. And I, and I, I, and I was a good, like, a studious teenager. I didn't, that's another story, but I was, I didn't even have friends. I didn't step outside the house. I, I didn't give anybody any issues, like, with drinking and using drugs. I had no sex life. I had none of that going on, you know? Wow. But, yeah. But the thing is, back then, it seemed, like, so overwhelming to feel all this hatred for her, for this betrayal and tremendous guilt at the same time. But it was so important for me because 
there we do have to go even if you have a healthy relationship with your parents you do go through a phase where you rebel and you know you want to do what your friends are doing you want to go your own way and that's healthy and that's just normal you know a part of normal development and so i feel that those milestones for me kind of like set the stage for me to about about 10 years ago when i decided to break free and also the universe helped me because so many things just popped up like you know serendipitously so what is what's the word serendipitously there we go something like that <laughs> to help me at crucial moments and i believe the one thing that is responsible for this strength that people see in me this confidence right this this serenity is that when i needed to decide whether i was going to go no contact or not there wasn't anything socially acceptable outside of me that validated me. There were a handful of women I found online in forums for daughters of narcissistic mothers, and they supported me and explained to me how the, go, how the whole going no contact process was. But other than them, everybody outside me, like they didn't see what was happening and why a daughter would go no contact with her own mom. There was no external validation except for these women online. So I was forced to reach inside me to a, a, a level of strength I had never accessed. And that level of strength was my intuition or myself, my true self. True self. And the only way that I could, that I could take that step, because it was so like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that to your mom. Come on, this is a prison. She's going to need to die first for you to be free. That sort of mentality, you know? Right. The only way that I could do that is if I wasn't myself. So I, 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 I reached out to this higher intelligence that I found in me, this source of courage. And of course, I had absolutely no guarantee. You told me, how do you know? How do you know? Well, first of all, when you're in self, you know. Mm -hmm. But how do you know that following your true self is going to take you where you want to go? How do you know that's better than what you've been doing? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's better to stay where you're at. And this is the crazy thing. Essentially, you, have, you keep re reliving certain developmental stages that you should have gone through in a healthy way when you were a kid. And remember earlier on I said that when kids form a secure attachment, they feel safe to go out in the world and play because they know somebody has got their back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When that happens, you transpose that from your personal experience to life and you feel that life has got your back and you have faith and you act in faith and you have confidence and things pop up for you. Right. Stuff happens. Now, because you weren't able to form that first secure attachment, your psyche keep looking, keeps looking for that opportunity. Why? So that you may transpose that secure attachment to an attachment a healthy attachment with life where you feel life has got my back i don't need to be scared i don't need to be in survival mode right. almost where you feel like a golden child by life because life wants to have your back you mm -hmm. go from from <clears throat> that horrible feeling of, of, of worthlessness and shame to this other space where you're like, damn, life wants to give me what I want to give myself. Feel free. Yeah, and, and how do you do that? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, 
you have to test out what sort of consequences you generate when you act in and from your true self. You don't have guarantees. You ha it's an act of faith. You have to, to, to basically guide yourself by what feels right. Mm -hmm. And that's asking you to trust yourself. And this is the one thing you don't do. Trust yourself. So it's the super chaotic process where you just like, how do you take care of that little sprout in the uh, post-apocalyptic apocalyptic scenario? Well, moment by moment, challenge by challenge, whenever you're confused about what to do, get in self, ask yourself if you should, what you should do, right? And either have the serenity to accept or the courage to act. And that's it. And then when the next problem comes, you get in self, you ask yourself what you should do, and you have the serenity to accept or the courage to act. If you have to accept something and you don't do it like, I accept that my mom will never love me, and you don't do it, it generates, it generates anxiety. You're always going to be suffering, unsafe, unsettled looking for that thing because you're resisting accepting what you've already seen she's never loved you before you have there's there's no experience in your personal history that would you know warrant you actually believing that one day she's going to finally see you so what are you basing this on right Ooh. and you do that challenge by challenge you just follow those steps and then you observe the consequences that you generate for yourself despite the discomfort of trusting this weird voice inside you you know, I know because it's scary. And what the hell am I doing? How do you know if this voice is yours or not? Yeah, well, when when you are in self, it's the part of you that makes you feel safe. So there's a physiological uh, confirmation that you are in self because this is what happens when you're not in self. You have alterations throughout your body that demonstrates that you are unsettled either because you're tense or because your heart rate goes up or because you feel a knot in your throat or you can't breathe, you're getting anxious or you're doing this with your eyebrows, you know, you're getting into this really unsettled state. And if you were to describe the feelings that you're feeling uh, between being heavy feelings or light feelings, you'd say they're heavy feelings. They're not things you want to be feeling. That's the confirmation that you are out of self. Feeling at peace. Exactly. When you know you're making the right decision because you feel safe. Like sometimes you just get the feeling just, it's like a feeling that comes over you when you make a decision that you know is healthy for you. Like you really just feel like a burden was lifted when you do it. So I, I can definitely understand that. I've experienced it a couple of times, but not as much as I would like. I really would like for God to talk to me, though. Yeah, but you, you can't hear God because you don't get in self. You don't, you don't take the whole calming yourself down seriously, part down seriously. And that's the first part. You can't do anything if you don't know how to calm yourself down. You have to have tools. Because you can't access your wisest part. You can't access God until you're in that state of mind. And as you do this progressively, you said you've only experienced that a couple of times. Honestly, you get to a point where you experience that various times a day be because you're like, you're operating from that point. Why are you operating from that point? Because you've done the lab work. You tested it out. 
-hmm. for a while you start training this new way of thinking and acting and you don't know what it's where it's going to lead you but after some time you can see that things are better for you because you're more confident you know yourself better toxic people are leaving situations are transforming you start proving to yourself that this weird voice inside you that you can only access in silence. This weird voice definitely knows what's best for you, way better than you do. And if you're smart, you'll, you'll stop like tripping out and, you know, and trying to intellectualize things and you will increasingly, increasingly hand over um, leadership to your true self because you know that you don't know how to make yourself happy you put yourself in these dumbass situations where you think you're going to be happy and you just get you know punched in the face and or these repetitive situations and you don't know what you're doing but yourself gives you directions even when you don't understand and years later they make sense because the dots connect it's that sort of intelligence mm -hmm. and you only know that it's this powerful if you test it it has to be an act of faith. You have to have faith in yourself. This is how you have faith in yourself. And as you do that, every single time you do that, that little sprout, it gets stronger and bigger and starts developing. And, you know, the roots get nice and thick and the trunk starts expanding. And all of a sudden, it's this big old tree and the branches stretch out and flowers take over and it smells good and it's oh my god it was just a little sprout and now it's all falling on the ground and that whole post-apocalyptic scenario is changing because there's color and then fruit comes out and you finally get to figure out what sort of a tree it was so it was a tangerine tree you know what i mean because you don't you're, you're protecting this new life inside you and you don't know what it's going to yield because you don't know yourself yeah. You have no idea what you're capable of. You have no idea what gifts you have to give to the world and how much fulfillment and connection this is going to fill you with. You don't know. But if you keep on choosing to act the way yourself tells you by accepting or by acting, accepting or acting, accepting or acting, it, you eventually get to taste and to see your own fruit. Mm -mm -mm. I literally don't even have anything to say. A lot of the questions that I sent you, we've kind of touched on them here and there. And really, there's not even the only thing I want to talk about is flying monkeys. Like, mm. how did you get to deal with flying monkeys when you are in self development mode? When you're in self development mode, well, first of all, there's two types of flying monkeys. Really? There's flying, yeah, there's flying monkeys who are just innocent because like you were innocent at some point and they believe it. They believe the narcissist. You know, they, they don't really see what's happening yet. Maybe you have a sister like that that still tries to rationalize it or something like that. You're like, damn, come on, wake up. I did. But they're not there yet. I, then I guess I was a flying monkey because I did that. And my brother was like, if you don't stop going over her, her house, if you don't stop interacting with her, and I just, I told myself all kinds of stories in my head. Yeah, well, you know, it could be that. And, and the other type of flying monkey is someone who is in on the abuse. You know, it's, it's someone who in that family system is getting triangulated to, you know, to make chaos happen, to, to instigate drama. Mm -hmm. uh, it's someone who's narcissistic themselves, who is unstable themselves. 
So, so there's that. But regardless of the of which case it is, you know, obviously you can be compassionate towards the first type and maybe just tell them, listen, this is where I'm at right now. I, I respect that you don't understand, but I have to to do this for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then you just have to understand that this is building boundaries. What they think you should do is their business. <laughs> and you have to see it that way. <laughs> okay. That was and you have to start what they think you should do is their business, not yours. Exactly. And you have this is this is creating boundaries. Now you, you only stop paying attention to what other people think you should do when you trust that you know what is good for you. And you only trust that when you have a relationship with self. Because self is strong, mm-hmm. self is courageous, self is serene, self is wise. Self literally will tell you step by step. I'm confused today, self. What do I do? First, get in self. Do your yoga. Do whatever. And then ask. You're going to get instructions. I just want you to kind of wrap it up for me with your one word of encouragement for, you know, the motherless daughters that are experiencing a lot of just uncertainty right now in their lives. Like, you know just not sure where to be really sometimes well there's a couple of things like first of all we all need to collectively survive this moment Mm -hmm. and you really can't demand much more of yourself than that right okay however it is an interesting moment so maybe maybe many things are being rubbed in your face right now (laughs) and you're dealing with a lot of triggers and pain is always our self trying to get our attention mm-hmm. so that we can do something already, either accept or act or a little bit of both and move on from that pain. So it's a moment to look at why you're feeling what you're feeling. And I want to validate that you just knowing that you don't want to be where you're at is enough for you to move forward. You don't need any information about where you're going. That's enough. Just start from there. In the way that we described in this video, you, you don't even need a therapist for that, even though, you know, if you're, you have one, that's great, but just start from there. You, ha- you don't need to have a clue where you're going. The information of, I'm, I don't know where I'm going, but I know I'm not staying where I'm at. This is sufficient and it's powerful. I thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Sorry about all the mixed up. Sorry about all the confusion. I'm trying to keep it together with the full-time job being a mom and all that craziness. It's Yeah, that's craziness. Yeah, you know, I'm a nurse and working. It's just really... Damn! Yeah, yeah that's got to be crazy. That's yeah, got to be crazy. But please excuse all of my craziness that you may have experienced. It's not intentional. Thank you so much for inviting me. I hope you guys can benefit as well. And, you know, just be your own best friend. Let's, let's summarize it that way. And it's powerful. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, everyone, I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. If you love this episode, please, please, 
please share it with someone in need of healing. Share it on all social media platforms or just plain old text messages, okay? Subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook support group page and subscribe to the YouTube channel at The Zainab Canoe Show. Thank you for all the love and support. Until next time, be so good, be so kind, be so patient, and be so loving to yourself.